thank you again for doing this and for coming on the podcast, Daniel. Maybe uh, let the listeners know who you are, what do you do, and maybe what what were you doing 30 days ago? I think that's a fitting question. Sure. So uh, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, My name is Daniel Nevetta. I own a production company and boutique agency in New York called Bright Young Things. Um, what I do there, I, I started it. Um, I am a director for commercials and documentaries. We have a roster of other directors, uh, who make commercials and documentaries. Um, we also, a couple of years ago, started getting into podcasts. Um, surprise, surprise. And we helped create a podcast on Hypebeast called Business of Hype with, uh, longtime friend of mine, Jeff Staple. Uh, And 30 days ago, 30 days ago, I think if I had to pinpoint sort of where I was in my life and what was happening, I was just coming back from a shoot in Santa Cruz and things were starting to heat up as far as um, COVID is concerned and COVID-19 is concerned. And um, I was still trying to maintain a level of normalcy in my life. So I was finishing a shoot in Santa Cruz, got in a car, like literally right before we captured the last shot and went to the airport to fly home on a red eye so that I could play basketball on Saturday morning with a group of guys that I've been playing with for years. And what ended up happening was that, um, the basketball game got canceled and then later that week a different basketball game got canceled and it was sort of like that was the last sort of moment of me being uh, able to live my life at this high speed pace of flying to shoots and pulling off all these things and jamming as much as I could into a day um, now obviously <laughs> everything's entirely different so Hopefully that paints a little bit of a picture of um, me and what we do and what my life was like 30 days ago. Yeah, no, that it's uh, it's unprecedented what's happening right now. Um, and, and you've been, you know, you've been doing this for a while. So maybe take us back, like creatively, like what was your first, like kind of experience maybe with you know, film or with camera or just making stuff like were were you a kid that did that like at a really young age or like how did you how did you actually get started? You know, it's funny, like I didn't think I was and then I have, you know, sort of like retroactively noticed all of these moments in my life in which I was, you know, sort of table setting for where I would end up. Um, and even as recently as <clears throat> uh, my, my mother recently sent me a photo of me and my brothers and my stepdad putting up a basketball hoop in our backyard in Queens on the garage in like 1987, which tells you a little bit about my age. And um, And then like a year later, there are some photos of my oldest brother trying to dunk that were taken by me at like age eight with my mother's like uh, little point and shoot film camera. 
And as a director now seeing those photos, I actually like the angles that I chose. Um, the photos aren't perfect, but like you could see within sort of my brain that I was trying to like find these very like sports illustrated, like Jordan-esque sort of angles, these things I was trying to like copy the creativity that was like, you know, the high level stuff that I was seeing in advertising. Um, and, you know, eventually that would translate to me sort of finding myself my way into the film industry, um, which is a whole nother story. But um, yeah, so I wasn't a kid who was like running around with film cameras. I didn't go to college for it. Nobody in my family does anything like it. But because I think I was the youngest and I grew up in the golden age of like Nike advertisements, um, I think that, you know, I just have this crazy education and sort of like what I feel like is the best of the best uh advertising sort of era and um i think that that has translated into the work that i do now and my influences and um why i feel such a draw to like visual storytelling and what was it about this golden era of advertisement and say basketball and nike like what do you think what what about those elements drew you in and i mean what made you see that that was something that like was relevant to you and like how you could create because of course millions of people see these advertisements they see you know they they listen to the music they they see how things are put together but they don't take action they don't actually say well i'm gonna i'm gonna do that like do you remember that point where you kind of felt like i've got something to contribute here well i think that I, you know, you can look at everything through a negative or a positive lens. And I, as a child, as the youngest, was, you know, uh, raised by a single mom for the most part and uh, felt very much sort of left to my own devices. Um, so I, I was like looking for things to latch on to. And basketball was something that I loved. And there was just something really captivating about the design of a sneaker to me. It felt like, so my, my dad, who my parents were divorced, my dad has been racing cars now for over 50 years. He, he drag races cars. Um, so I always loved classic cars and the design elements of cars. So I, I have a mind for design and sort of like sleek lines and, um, that sort of like innovation meeting technology meeting style, um, I think because of, you know, growing up around cool cars and then like seeing it style translated to sport, which like Michael Jordan was doing and Nike was doing better than anybody else. And me growing up in Queens, New York in the 80s and 90s as a big fan of rap music. Um, I think that all of those things just merged so perfectly um, and no one ever really told me no because there was just too much shit going on. Like my mom had two jobs and three sons that she was trying to raise and there just wasn't enough time for her to tell me no. Like she was just happy that I was like keeping busy. 
So if I sat down to draw something or like asked if I could borrow her camera to go like run around to the park or like shoot photos of my friends in the backyard, she was just happy that I wasn't like getting arrested, you know? So I think it was sort of like, like by default that I just sort of found things to keep myself busy. And because I wasn't being told no, because it wasn't harming anybody, I don't know, all of these things sort of like metastasized and like I was able to, um, I don't know, just build on these things that were really interesting to me, you know, like sneakers became very interesting to me. And, you know, I remember being in first grade, which is 1986, and like getting a pair of convincing my mom before like I could convince anybody to let me buy like a $110 pair of sneakers. I got like a pair of Converse weapons, which were like the Magic Johnson, yellow, purple, and white. And I'm living in Queens. Why am I wearing like Lakers colors? But like <laughs> they were cool and they had a point of view. And like, I just remember being like, oh, this is like an expression and an extension of myself. And I feel better about the way that I walk down the street when I have something on that, you know, like does this for me. And so I think like all these little things just sort of like built upon one another. And um, like I said, no one was telling me no. So um, I, I did not know that I was going to have a creative profession. I ended up um, playing music professionally at a young age. And um, in doing that, um, when things started to take off there, we got to make some music videos. And my ideas always won as far as like, what we should do creatively and then that sort of opened the door for me to see what it was like to be on set with 30 people and have them you know filming us making a, a music video and stuff like that and I think that's what really was like the final sort of unlocking of like you know when I look back like that made me excited about that as a craft and sort of broke down some of the barriers to it any early music videos that you can remember any any bands artists something yeah. that you uh, <laughs> i'm sure you have a well, lot of stories well i remember i remember seeing thriller for the first time which obviously is not a cool thing to talk about now but at the time i was a child and i remember being so terrified and scared when he turns into like the evil like thriller version of Michael Jackson. Um, so I remember that, but I mean, I largely grew up in, again, like the golden age of like the Spike Jones music videos, which were largely like Beastie Boys and Breeders, but like Beastie Boys were totally one of my favorite artists. Um, I definitely identified with them as like a white kid who was into rap and punk rock um so yeah those beastie boys videos for like sabotage um like some of the those those definitely have influenced me now as a filmmaker too um just like very raw not perfect not pristine just like energy and uh you know fun and personality um so yeah i mean that stuff is like the stuff that I remember the most. I mean, I remember like the Weezer Buddy Holly video was like pretty influential when I was in. 
like high school, but you know, because I was growing up in this like punk rock scene in New York, as I transitioned more into that and out of rap or like added that to the rap that I was in love with, then I started to see bands that I loved making it onto television. Like MTV2 was doing like independent artists and stuff like that. And, and then this scene that I was like coming up in in New York started to appear on television. And that was like another crazy like moment in my life where like it unlocked like, oh, maybe I can be in a band that gets on television or do things like that too, you know, like, um, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So like, how did you kind of, did, well, did you ever have a job? Did you ever work anywhere or did you always have your own company? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, I think honesty is is a great educator. So I had no plan um, coming out of high school. Um, I failed out of multiple high schools. I got kicked out of multiple high schools. I was misguided, misdirected, um, sort of saw no path to anything exciting other than like, I'm just going to play music, um, which was what I was doing when I was in high school. And uh, so then I went to college for about a year, community college, and was trying to major in, I was majoring in criminal justice because I thought I wanted to be a homicide detective, which once 9-11 happened in New York, I decided that I did not want to be in the line of police work. Um, and so I had nothing going, you know, I had, I like sort of um, played music for a minute. And then after I did that, I ended up working in delis um i ended up delivering pizza and i ended up taking a job as a janitor for the new york city board of education and joined the union and worked as a janitor uh was like my longest real job uh before i eventually um found my way into production but at the time when i took my first job in production which was a freelance job on a commercial as a production assistant. I was literally at that time, I had to take days off from my full-time job as a janitor in an elementary school in Queens, New York. That's amazing. I, I would ask, how did you actually get that freelance opportunity, but you're clearly, you're talented and, and you have the, the eye and you, you've already kind of honed your skills, but like, what maybe walk through like the journey of like actually doing that. Like, how did you actually get that opportunity as the janitor? How, like, who did you call or what connections did you make? What was like the path there? Uh, the opportunity from being a janitor to being a production assistant. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah. So <clears throat> as luck would have it, um, I, I think you have to, I always say that like no one has ever come to my house knocked on my door while I'm sitting on my couch and offered me an opportunity. That has, it never happened. I don't know anybody else who it's happened for either. So I think we as people, if we believe in ourselves, need to put ourselves out there. So, um, and, and make connections that are genuine, you know? So I, from music, had a friend who we stayed very close and ended up becoming best friends. He is the person who, when I moved out of my parents' house at 22, um, we moved in together. He was going to the School of Visual Arts in New York, 
um, and would go on to now he's the commercial director. He had a spot in the Super Bowl this year. Um, but when he graduated school, um, we were living together and he got a job at MTV because uh, one of the one of the professors at School of Visual Arts was one of, you know, worked at MTV and sort of fast tracked him to an opportunity there where he met a girl who was a producer and they became boyfriend girlfriend and one day at the apartment she was just like, hey, if you ever want to come be on a shoot, like I can hook you up like and give you a job for three days as a production assistant. The pay sucks and you don't know what you're doing so I'll sort of help you a little bit but like the stakes aren't that high you know like I can just sort of ease you into it if you want to just freelance and see what it's like you know um and so I was thrilled to have some sort of prospect and she offered me a job on a three-day um commercial uh and you know my job was to make sure that the talent had like water and straws so they didn't mess up their makeup, uh, their lipstick um, while they were on set. And I just had to hang out with talent for three days. Uh, and that was when I like, so yes, it was just because of a friend. And that's, I think, how a lot of opportunities come up. But I, I will also say, and I'm not one to sort of pat myself on the back. I think that to go from being a production assistant literally the least responsible person on that whole entire crew um, to be able to seize that opportunity, take it seriously and start, you know, putting a good enough foot forward that then people felt like, oh, I can spread his name around to other producers. I'll hire him as a production assistant. Also, I quit my job within like two weeks because people were starting to call me and thought, I was going to be a responsible person and show up and do a good job for them. And I sort of never looked back. I mean, I went from the bottom role on a crew on a commercial to now owning a production company that gets hired to shoot those commercials. And sometimes I'm even directing those commercials, but um, you know, I'm, I'm now the guy who gets the phone call to make them and gets to sit back and hire all those crews and give people those opportunities that I got also, you know, yeah, no, that that's really, I mean, that I think you hit on it there. It's like you had to seize the opportunity. It wasn't just like, just because you're on set, you're going to become like, you know, you, you, that doesn't like automatically promote you in any way. You still have to kind of prove yourself. You still have to, you have to take the chance of, you know, leaving your full-time uh, job at that time. So like, what what's next? What happened after that? Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe talk, talk through like, uh, you know, kind of how you went from freelancing and kind of like, how did you, how did you actually start a company? Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the things that I'll never forget is that first time being on set when everybody went to lunch, my friend was like, okay, I'll let you come actually like see what's going on. Like, we'll look at all the gear and stuff and I'll just sort of like, if you have questions, I'll answer them. And we had like 10 minutes where we walked onto the set while everyone's off eating lunch. And we were just standing there, like looking at the gear and, and everything. And I was just asking like, okay, you know, what's the responsibility for this person? And um, did this person have to go to college? And what kind of rates do you make if you are the cinematographer? And what do you make if you're the sound guy? And when 
my friend Veronica was kind enough to sort of like tell me the answers to those questions, I was just floored that like you didn't need a college education, which I didn't have, and that it was all basically like how hard you were willing to work and how, um, you know, just sort of like diplomatic and kind you were willing to be to people. It was based on performance. And so that sort of set this course in motion for me that like, okay, this is a ladder. And once I figure out what role I actually want, what's right for me, whether that's cinematographer or a producer or, you know, all of the other incredible sort of specific technician roles there are on a crew, um, I can dedicate myself to that. You know, I'm very good with my hands and I care a lot about perfection. And so, um, yeah, so it just sort of set this course in motion where after a couple of months of me being production assistant, um, my friend Veronica again was like, look, if you ever want to try to sort of turn into a producer, the next step would be a coordinator, then a production manager, then a producer. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, I'm willing to put myself out there and try. So like, if you want to hire me as a coordinator, I'll do anything you want. And coordinator is like a very thankless job. You're making a million phone calls, writing 10 million emails, making sure that all of the paperwork is in order and no one cares. You're basically sitting in the motorhome the whole entire day, just filing paperwork, writing emails, double checking stuff, taping people's receipts onto paper. Like if you're not into it, it's not fun, you know? And I was like, okay, but I need to perform. And so then I, I did that for a minute. Then I got, you know, promoted and opportunities as a production manager. And then I just started telling people like, yo, if you want to do a small shoot on a weekend, like I now understand enough about it that I'll like produce a small shoot if you want. And people would just believe me and trust me. Like, cause I, you know, valued the opportunities and was committed to never letting anybody down and slowly but surely I tested the waters as you know a producer and wasn't really in love with that and then realized that there was this really cool job called location scouting and, and location managing which was basically like the director calls and says here's the brief we want to shoot on like New York City streets and then we need to shoot in a cool restaurant that feels like it's in Paris and then we need to go shoot in a park and your role as a location scout and manager is to come up with options for all of those places um, that are going to look great and can you know uh, sort of absorb a crew showing up to shoot securing those contracts making brokering those deals and you know making sure that everyone has a place to park a place to eat a place to go to the bathroom and all that stuff so then I got into that and from there, uh, got an opportunity to do location scouting and managing for a company which was popping off at the time called collegehumor.com, um, which was a comedy website. And those guys were like, hey, we're shooting a bunch of web things all the time. Would you come manage locations for us? And I said, yeah, I'll do that part time. And once I got in the door over there, they were like, hey, you would make a great producer. Do you want to come on staff as a producer? We're growing the department. So I went on staff there. And after about a year and a half, um, they were running into some issues and decided to lay off my department. Um, so, you know, I had been in the industry for a couple of years at that point and felt like I knew a bunch of young, talented people who 
deserved more opportunities. Um, and I felt like, you know, web content was going to just continue to explode. Um, so I was like, you know, I'm either getting out of this industry and doing something else in my life because I don't like that people can sort of take their lively, take your livelihood away from you at the snap of a finger when you've dedicated yourself to doing great work for a company, or I guess I should just start my own thing and make it in a way that I believe in and just create this, like, not trying to trample anybody, not trying to mistreat people, but like a good localized community of people who deserve opportunities that show up and treat these projects the same way that I do. And I'll see what happens. And as soon as I leaned into that, like the phone started ringing for like small nonsense jobs. But like once I started telling people that like, yo, if you want to make stuff, like me and my friends are down to do it. And we have a place, an office, and I have, a, I incorporated and I got insurance and all that stuff. Like I put all the money that I had into making sure that I had a legit foundation to be able to bill a company like Interscope or Universal Music or something. And, and then, you know, I've sort of haven't looked back, you know, it's been like, you know, 13 years or 12 years since, since that, that moment. Do you kind of remember like, maybe some of the early client work that you did uh, when you first incorporated, when you kind of made it like more official and, and you had like, you know, responsibility and staff and that kind of thing. Like what were some of the maybe early projects? I mean, I remember pretty much all of them. I, I, I'm lucky that I have a really good memory and those moments, the stakes were so high. Um, I remember one of the biggest opportunities I didn't even know was going to be a big opportunity, but um, we had done some small, I mean, like I, I have a lot of stories, but like one of the stories is um, one of the first jobs we got, the label called and they were like, hey, can you go on set? Um, this photographer, this big photographer who we can't tell you who it is, is going to shoot a band in the city like these you know, this group in the city at a studio and we just need like some behind the scenes stuff. And can you cut it into, you know, a piece or whatever. Um, and they're like, we'll tell you who it is like the day before the shoot. So I'm like, okay. Um, so it turned out that it was N-E-R-D um, and Pharrell and, uh, and the photographer was Terry Richardson who was super cool at the time. Um, and I had already decided that we were going to shoot on film, which was totally not, didn't make any sense from a dollars and cents standpoint, but I was like, we're going to spend all the budget to make sure this shit looks cooler than what other people are doing right now. And, you know, I'm just going to take the opportunity and try to spin it into another opportunity. And it all worked out. I mean, we made like a cool spot that the label loved and, they kept hiring us to do that type of work for a while and that you know helped us um stay afloat um i then the label called us to be involved in producing uh, a film for tv on the radio um around one of their albums and we were you know played an integral 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 role in um bringing some of the the assets within that film to life and then that film went on to get nominated for a Grammy for best long form music video um, that year. 
uh, it didn't win, but it was like, it just built all this confidence in us that like, oh, this thing, we can, we can contend with these companies that are like, you know, I'm, I'm a, um, essentially like, you know, an untrained person who just really believes in myself and my friends. And we're competing with, you know, major production companies uh, and getting nominated for, you know, being involved in projects that are getting nominated for a Grammy. We had been a company for like a year and a half or something, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and that sort of like started to open up some other opportunities. We've never been a company that believes in a big staff. Like I've never wanted that for myself. Um, I believe in finding the right people for the right projects. Um, and I, I'm not a greedy person. So there's, there's sort of has been a cap on our growth that I've sort of determined. Um, because it stops being fun when you're doing things to feed a bunch of people and you have to start taking work that you don't believe in. And there's too many production companies, in my opinion, that are putting content out into the world um, that's harmful to the environment, to you know individuals. Um, and so I don't want to be that. And so you know, there's definitely a conscious sort of focus on like we're a company that does the stuff that we want to do, and thankfully we've had loyal clients. Um, and and that sort of has been the ethos the whole the whole duration of the company we still hire people that we really believe in and have hyper personal relationships with we still you know try to give opportunities to people who aren't getting opportunities because they're not cool or they don't know everybody but like i'm good at spotting talent it's it's been that way since the beginning and so i believe in myself for that and and that's sort of the company that we've we've modeled us, ourselves into if that if that answers the question or maybe that's yeah. just a long meandering tangent. No, that's great. That that's that's really insightful. And um so you have the Air Vegan account. When maybe maybe touch on on uh on your journey with that and um how long have you been vegan? So I have been vegan for about six years. Um, and I started the Air Vegan about two and a half years ago, um, because like I said earlier, I've always sort of expressed myself through sneakers, um, and like clothing. It's one of the ways that I've, I've found to express myself. Um, and thankfully, like no one shames me for those, those things that I believe in. And again, like I've built up this confidence and it sounds arrogant to say that, but I've built up a confidence in myself and my opinions that like, and I've also become a bit of a leader with this production company that I was just like, look, man, like no one's leading in this space as like a vegan sneakerhead. And like, I'm doing all this insane research to try to solve this problem of like, whether these sneakers, I feel comfortable wearing them, but like I'm putting in hours of research into, you know, what sneakers are actually 
okay for me to wear and sort of demystifying things around glue and, you know, like I said, materials that, that I was just like, I, I guess I should just make this free online, which has always been a belief of mine because I don't come from uh, sort of a hyper financially comfortable sort of background. So I've always believed, and I went to public school and I believe the public school in Queens, New York is, you know, it changed my life for the, for the better. Um, so I was just like, I want to unlock this info on for free on Instagram and I want to make it light and fun and a hobby for myself. And, and my wife was super encouraging of it. And we spent about 30 seconds trying to think of a name and we were like, uh, it's gotta be like, you know, vegan or air Jordan, or what about the air vegan? And we were like, Oh, that's it. And so, yeah, we just, you know, I started it and then, um, it seemed like nobody cared. And now, you know, two and a half years into it, we have a bunch of people that um, I admire that follow us and that champion the work I'm doing. And, you know, I've appeared on other people's YouTube channels and I've written a ton of articles. And, um, you know, so like, I guess there was a market for it. I was, my hunch was right. Um, and I, I really love doing it. I, there are times, selfishly that I wish that I wasn't running a company and that I could just do the air vegan and become a full-time advocate for how we need to sort of reinvent how we approach consumption in sort of like hype culture, because I think that it's very irresponsible. And there will be a time where someone who's not me, um, unfortunately or fortunately, gets designated as the ambassador um, to change this this whole scene. Um, and I hope that they can find some value in some of the principles that I'm sort of speaking to with the account. Uh, I look forward to that day. I think it'll be amazing when someone gets blessed as cool for doing this stuff. Um, I'm seeing like a little bits of momentum here and there, but it's it's insane how slow moving and oftentimes lame hype beast culture is. Um, so yeah, so I'm just trying to be a different voice and promote stuff that I think, you know, this present situation we're in now has a lot of people looking at the way that they consume and production chain and, um, you know, how workers are treated and all of these things that, you know, I've been talking about for a while, but um, yeah. So I started it because it was something that I wished that I had a reliable source and I felt like other people would appreciate it. And um, slowly but surely it's, it's growing. Careful what you wish for. Maybe you're, uh, you're self-designating yourself uh, to, uh, to lead this, uh, this change. Where, you know, where do you I would do it. I would do it in a second, to be honest, because I think that my background as a creative and someone who directs and comes up with, interesting concepts. I think in a way, I almost feel like I'm the right person for it, you know, um, because I, I would merge all of those sensibilities of the golden era of Nike marketing into making sustainability cool. Um, and I hear whispers that they're trying to get there, but it's like, 
I am sort of notorious, especially with the production company that I own, like for being able to pull stuff off in the most insane turnaround times. I could have made 50 commercials for them, you know, in the last two years and really honed the message. But, you know, whatever. Uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, the sense I get from from you, Daniel, is that you have a you have an incredible kind of eye towards where the puck is going or I mean you, you mentioned kind of realizing that the the web was exploding that it was it was going to explode um, maybe talk about your podcast work and kind of like when did you start to see that podcasting was viable and that you know it's something to offer to clients or it's something to just champion or do yourself like how do you think about kind of your your innovation um, within your your creative uh, work that you do? Yeah, so I think podcasts were definitely starting to happen and bubble um, in hyper-creative um, sort of markets uh, before I was like, I'm definitely in on podcasts. I, I often, I'm not a trend hopper, so like, I have to go to the thing in my own time, you know, either I'm early on it because it's something I believe in or something starts to happen. And like, I won't go see like the super popular movie in the movie theater. Like I need for the hype to sort of calm down and then I'll go sort of watch it on my own a year later and then talk to people about it, like in the aftermath. But so with podcasts, I was like admiring them from afar. I thought it was a great platform but I hadn't felt a natural draw to them yet. You know, I was really into like making commercials and music videos and all that stuff. And I, I just, I was just so focused on what I was doing that I wasn't yet in love with the format. And then um, some friends of mine were doing this podcast that was very dark and um, it was, I always used to summarize it as uh, This American Life sort of on heroin, um, which does not sound fun, but um, I, it was just hyper honest, you know, and I was like, wow, these are, and every episode was a different story, and they were all very compelling, and they were like stories from the fringe, people living off the grid, people who had been arrested for these crazy crimes and had to stay anonymous, or whatever the case may be, every story was hyper, hyper interesting, and and the way that I ended up in podcasts was that I looked at that and was like, look, everyone's looking for great ideas for TV shows and movies and whatever. I was like, podcasts are these great sort of proof of concepts where if you listen to them, if it's storytelling, you can decide if this makes a great documentary or if this would make a great film. Because if the story draws you in as a listener, like this is, I, I started going, taking meetings all over the city that like, look like podcasting is the most fertile ground for TV shows, movie concepts. You can hear the whole pitch in 45 minutes or an hour. And if the story like really draws you in, then like it's, you know that it's good, you know? So I talked to some friends of mine who had that podcast and I was like, look, can we do an experiment? I want to turn one of the podcasts into a documentary. Um, I hadn't made a documentary yet. Um, and so my introduction to podcast was that we ended up turning this podcast into a documentary and uh, 
it got accepted and selected by Tribeca Film Festival in 2018 and was um, shortlisted for uh, one of the best short docs of the year by the International Documentary Association. And so then I was like all in on podcasts and I was looking for the right thing to do. And Jeff and I had tried to do one years ago, um, very early on in podcasts. And we just sort of couldn't crack the code. We recorded like five episodes with different people and the format was sort of wonky and the editing wasn't really coming together, or coalescing in a way that we loved. And so we shelved it and we sat on the episodes for like a year and a half. And then after my doc went to Tribeca Film Festival, he then, you know, re-engaged me about like, hey man, like I'm thinking about doing a podcast. Would you want to help me do one? You know, here's what I think it should be. What do you think it should be? And so he presented me with what his concept was. And I was like, you know, okay, but this is like, we need to Rubik's cube this thing into a better version of what it is. I think it should be more like this. We should also inject these sort of like anecdotal doses of like your knowledge into them instead of it just being a very linear, flat, hour long interview because there's enough of that. You know, how do we paint you as an authority and provide perspective and context for people who don't necessarily know who all these people are or what their role and contribution to society or the culture is. And so we just sort of like Rubik's cube the thing together. And, and I, because I come from a music background was like, I'll pick the theme song and send you ideas for that. I'll, you know, make some music that um, is the little sonic beds for the interludes. I'll edit the first couple episodes myself. Like, let me help shape the vision for it. Um, and let's see what happens. And as soon as we started messing with it, then Jeff was like, oh, Hypebeast wants, wants it, you know? Um, and so then like, you know, sort of the rest is history. Hypebeast got affiliated and um, it just sort of started going from there, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. How did you meet Jeff? I met Jeff because there was a, a magazine, and I mean, if you don't already know who Jeff Staple is, which I know that you do, but like for anyone who doesn't know, he has sort of become like this, um, I don't know, like the poster boy for like collaborations and sneaker culture, right? So, so we, and he gets filmed and interviewed all of the time like anyone who's trying to like just sort of build their resume tries to get access to Jeff and he's very gracious and very kind and gives so many people access to him and his story so um, a magazine that was cool for a minute that now doesn't exist anymore called Antenna um, which was owned by the same company that owned XXL and Rides magazine um they were like sort of a cool culture magazine they wanted to interview jeff and shoot video for a project and they hired my company to film the video 
So I met him when his office was on Orchard years and years ago, and we didn't really like chat much or whatever. He was just, we were just another group that was filming him and, you know, we exchanged pleasantries, but didn't really like connect. Um, and so then I remember being like, it, it bothered me for a while that I was like, this guy, I felt like would benefit from, I think I have an interesting way to like help him tell stories. I think like it would be cool if he sort of had one team sort of really like leading some of the content that comes out. And so I was like, I want to try and get him as a client. I want to try and like break through with him. You know, I feel like we can help each other. And so over the course of the next couple of years, you know, exchanging emails, um, me, I used to do the XXL freshman videos. Um, so me being like, yo, Jeff, if you want to get some staple stuff on these wrappers, like here's the, you know, editor in chief, like we should send some stuff over. So some of your gear can be in some of these spots, like always trying to like, you know, provide some sort of win-win for him and just slowly, but surely like, and it took years. Um, did then like little opportunities start to come up and then, um, when he did the, like, you know, so then we had done that experimental like podcast, which didn't work. And then we stayed in touch over like different stuff. And then, um, when he did the black pigeon, uh, it was like, yo dude, like there's not a lot of bread on this project, but like, if you wanted to make something like, let me know. And I was like, dude, we got you, you know, and we shot a bunch of sick shit for that campaign. And then we, and then we really leaned into the podcast stuff. So now, I mean, we've been buddies for a long time, but it was, it was very sort of like slow building and wasn't easy. And I definitely had to like, keep my foot on the gas with it. Um, and I think, you know, we've, we've both benefited from the friendship and, uh, you know, the sort of like creative uh, overlap and collaboration. So I'm glad that I was relentless. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's crazy. Um, that that's, uh, I think there's a lesson in that. And there's a gem there that, you know, timing can be important, preparation can be important. Uh, and, and, and so many, so many other things. Um, we opened up a little bit about you know, COVID-19 kind of being the new normal. Um, what do you, what do you say to other creatives or, you know, people that are kind of anyone really like how, maybe talk about how you're getting through what, what, what are you doing, you know, now that this is happening, how has that changed, you know, your work? Are, are you still able to do, you know, creative work? Are you, are you able to, you know, find inspiration, maybe, maybe talk through like, how are you getting through this? And maybe where do you, you know, where do you see it going? Yeah, so I think it's, it's a challenge. It's not a hard question for me to answer. But I do realize there are some sensitivities about, or a lot of sensitivities about this subject and about how certain people um, feel inclined to handle it. And so I just want to provide a disclaimer that 
I'm a unique individual and I am probably trying to offset some of my own um, sort of emotional imbalance by burying myself in things. So I, I do want people who feel like they're overwhelmed to feel okay to not be doing things right now. But as far as how it's impacting us and, and what I'm doing with it, I, you know, I sort of live with a lot of mottos and one is don't shrink, rethink. And like shit happens, you know, like this thing is totally blindsiding all of us and my whole entire industry. No one's filming commercials right now. You literally can't get a permit to film commercials and it would be extremely irresponsible to do that, you know. Um, so, you know, we've had to, the first thing that I thought of, to be totally honest, when it all happened, obviously beyond the sort of horror of this virus was just that, you know, the company that I've built is, is, is largely because of the hard work of independent creative freelance talent who go above and beyond the call of duty for me and a lot of other non-union production companies, meaning like not television show making production companies for the most part. And those people, young creative talent are gonna be marginalized and crushed like in this scenario. So I felt hyper-concerned for the tremendous loss that we'll feel in our industry by losing that young creative sort of energy and those those point those you know POVs and so you know I felt like okay how do I sort of lift people up and provide some sort of positivity and acknowledgement of those folks and my first inclination was okay like all of all of the real filmmakers or all of the hyper ambitious ones, like we're, we all get involved in passion projects when we're not making shit for our clients, you know? So everybody does their like short film or their music video or whatever. And so many people don't get that stuff seen. Like it doesn't get pumped into the stream of our consciousness, the way stuff with advertising and marketing dollars behind it does. So I was just like, why don't I just provide a platform for, how can I provide a platform for people to feel you know, appreciated? And so we came up with this concept called Crew Love, like uh, you know, almost a month ago. And I was like, every week we'll take submissions from filmmakers all over and unlock it to directors, producers, composers, editors, everybody of every you know, make and, gender and across the world submit your work to us for free festival submissions are usually not for free and we'll go through it all and we'll put out like a video playlist every like a film playlist like essentially a film festival every week of like 10 or 12 of these films and we'll create social assets to like promote them and we've sort of like we've been doing that where week four goes live this friday um, there's 34 films, which we've already showcased as part of the project. We've gotten hundreds of submissions. Um, and so I've just sort of like created an online film festival that like presents new work every week for people. 
Um, and so that's one of the ways that I've been sort of approaching it. I think, you know, there's a lot of production companies that are um, sort of clamoring for opportunities to make things right now and get everyone back to work. But for me, I just feel like since it's a moment to pause and think about who we are and what we want to be, like I want to celebrate the other people in our industry, you know, especially like the lesser known and the people who are like doing this because they love it um, and give them a sense of pride right now. So that's, that's one of the projects that has been consuming a lot of our time. Um, and then the rest of it is just like, you know, we had a couple of jobs that we were in post-production on and, um, you know, a couple of other clients sniffing around about shooting commercials via Zoom um, and things like that. So, um, yeah, we're just trying to, like, be smart and think about, you know, um, what kind of messages we want to put out into the world. And the, the other thing I'll say is that, like, because we're the type of company that doesn't do stuff out of greed, um, a lot of companies aren't showing their new client work that's coming out right now because, they're embarrassed by it or it doesn't really like jive with the current sort of social climate or, and the stuff that we have coming out is like, we just put out a campaign for fair trade, which is a nonprofit, which certifies, you know, products that are, um, you know, upholding the highest standards of workers' rights and supply chain and using materials that aren't toxic to the environment. And so we, you know, those are the types of projects we're working on when no one's looking. And now those projects are coming out. So like, you know, in a way I feel even more proud of the stuff that we're doing. And in a time when a lot of people aren't promoting the work that they have coming out because they're not in love with the affiliation, like as luck would have it because we've been an honest company, you know, like we're okay showing the stuff that we have coming out. We're it's timely, you know, like it's relevant. Um, but it often feels like, to be honest, like I think a lot of people are feeling alone right now. And like, that's sort of what it's often felt like to be a company like ours for this long, you know, that doesn't operate from like a place of, you know, wanting to sell you shit that we don't believe in, you know, so. Yeah, no, that's great. That's fantastic work. Um, Thank you again for doing this and sitting down. Um, where do you where do you direct the listeners and the followers? Where do you want them to uh, check out your work and where can they connect with you? Yeah, so it's it's pretty easy by design. Um, we are b y t dot n y c, um, both on Instagram and on the World Wide Web. There's no dot com. We you know, a couple of years ago, New York City made it possible to have .nyc as the end of your URL. And I'm born and raised in Queens, New York, and very proud to be a New York business owner. And obviously love my people here. And um, people say a lot of my upbringing comes out in our work. So yeah, we're byt.nyc. Cool. Thanks, Daniel. Stay strong. Talk soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon, Hamilton. Be well.